before, before we kind of get started here, I, I, I would like to, to just mention a little something before we kind of get into the text this morning. Um, one is, it, it's just this, it, it's, it's, a, it's just a real truth in all of our lives that there's a concept of forgiveness. And, and each of us have both been offended and been an offense to others. And, and because of what Jesus has done in our lives, you see, there's a mandate on our lives to forgive others. And, and, and forgiveness is an interesting thing because actually forgiveness is for you. It's for the forgiver. It, it, it's something that releases the forgiver from an event in the past. And we can either choose to say, stay chained to an event in the past or through forgiveness, we can have those chains cut and give ourselves the ability to move forward. Now, sometimes, though, forgiveness is a process, and, I, and it's not just an event always. It's not just something. But I would encourage you this. If you're in a spot there, and most of us probably are, and there's a place in your life where you need to exercise forgiveness, I want to encourage you to begin to speak forgiveness into that, literally in your prayer life. Just be speaking forgiveness. And sometimes even it takes a little while for all of the emotions and all of the things of the heart to actually catch up. But as we begin to speak that into our prayers and, and, and exercise that in that way, it really does begin to move us towards that in a really healthy and, and a good way. Forgiveness is not admitting or saying that somebody else, what they did was not wrong or an offense to you. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite of that. It's, it's saying that what you've done hurt me, but I'm choosing I'm choosing to move forward. I'm, I'm choosing to, to let you go. I, I'm choosing to not be judge, jury, and executioner in this thing. And, and maybe you're in a spot in your life where forgiveness is a very difficult thing. Maybe it's a really, really hard thing. And, and, and let me just say, that's, that, that's real. Um, I encourage you to ask yourself this question. What do you still want? What do you still want out of that deal? Because sometimes when we get real, we want someone either to suffer die or um, say I'm sorry or something. And, and, and when, when that is satisfied in us, when we get to a place where we're able to just let that go, it's the place where we're able to just say, it, it's all good, and I'm going to give that over to God. <clears throat> and maybe something in your life has happened that was an uh, incredible evil, and that's real, and that happens. And if that has touched your life and you're struggling with forgiveness, Another thing I would encourage you with is to just, is to allow God to be the one. He's the one who's the righteous judge. He's the one who is going to write all the books one day. And again, just to, to, to alleviate yourself of that position of being judge, jury, and executioner on that. And live in the freedom of forgiveness because that's what Jesus purchased for us was freedom. So with that, let's get into today's text. So grab your Bible, turn it on, open it up. If you don't have one, grab one out of the chair in front of you, <clears throat> and we'll get into this. We are in Mark uh, 14, verse 1, and we're going to be going through 11 this morning. And, and this morning, we're just calling this extravagant worship, and, and the story will, will, will play out in, in why that is, but, but, but worship... A lot of times, we, as we think about worship, we, we, we think about and we tend to just equate worship with singing, with singing songs. But worship is a much bigger picture than that. 
Worship is everything, really. Worship is, is a holistically all of who we are, that everything that a Christian does is meant to be done in worship to God, giving glory and honor to Him. So our work, our interactions, how we do all things are really our act of worship uh, to God. So we want to look at that and look at this woman's uh, exercise of worship to Jesus. So it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, let there, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. <clears throat> so, here we are, and, and verse 1 tells us it's two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so, Passover every year, remember, is, 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 it's on Nisan the 14th. It's roughly April the 14th would be kind of a, in our calendar something maybe close to that. Um, uh, this day, Passover, just like Easter, it moves throughout the Jewish calendar as far as days of the week and these kinds of things. But, but anyway, it's the 14th of Nisan, and it's the first day then of this feast of unleavened bread. It begins, the, the, the next day begins this, this feast of unleavened bread. And it's really interesting, the consistent repetition that we see in God's word between these feasts and between events in the Old Testament and how these things are playing out. And, and there's a synchronicity of what is going on in Jesus' ministry that coincides with these, with, these, um, with these feasts and with these different things. So the, the, the Passover, remember, is this. It, it's the day that, that the people of Israel were set free from their bondage to Pharaoh, right? It, it's, it's the time where where God had told them that, um, you know, he'd, he'd sent all of the, the plagues and all of the, the things on Pharaoh, and the final thing was this, was this uh, that the angel of death was going to come, and any household that had taken this lamb and had sacrificed the lamb and applied the blood of the lamb to the doorposts and the lintels of its home, the angel of death would pass over that home, and they would live. <clears throat> Not only would they live, but then they, would be, they were going to get set free out of the bondage that they had been subjected to, and then they were going to find themselves wandering in the desert, right? 
And, and in this, for 30 days, when they had left, they left with unleavened bread. They hadn't put the yeast in the bread. And so for 30 days, they ate this unleavened bread. And after that, God began to give them manna from heaven, which sustained them the entire time that they were in the wilderness. So, so it's really, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting picture because we, we begin to look at this and we look at the ministry of Jesus and we understand how we have been set free through the blood of the lamb from the bondage of sin, right? And now we are in this spot where we are sojourning through this world. We're wandering in this place and we're waiting for the return of Christ. So there are three major festivals that the Jewish people were required to attend, Passover, Pentecost, and, and the, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And, and all of these, there, there's a lot of scholars or, or people, there's no way to know when Jesus was actually born, but there's a, there's a belief that he was born on the, uh, very possibly at the Feast of Tabernacles, because John, in John 1, very specifically uses a word that Jesus came and he tabernacled amongst us. He, he dwelled with us. He, he came into um, our proximity and lived with us. There's also this idea that, the, that that will be the festival that will be going on when Jesus returns. When he comes and he sets up his earthly kingdom and, and his rule and reign right here on earth. So Jesus, remember we had talked about, he has this triumphal entry and, and the triumphal entry is going to coincide with the time where the people were required to bring a lamb into their home for Passover. Now, now want, let's think about this. Now, especially parents, think about how hard this would be. Can you imagine bringing a lamb into your home four days prior to when you're going to kill this thing? And it's going to become the sacrifice for Passover as, you, as the Jewish people memorialize what it is that God has done for them. And they're teaching their children this. And can you imagine having your kids get, you know how attached they'd be to this little lamb? Do you know how tough the conversations would be over this very thing? But you see, this is, this is the importance. I think that what we don't get is, is, is what has happened and what has been done for us. We don't really live always in the real fear of the Lord as a people today we don't really take into account what was done on our behalf. But, but in practicing this thing, they're, they're forced into this spot where they're going to have some really tough conversations with their kids about sin, about what it is that covers that sin and what bondage looks like and what freedom looks like and what it is that has purchased freedom for them in the person of Jesus. And so, so hard discussions, I can't, I can't even imagine, but, but it... It coincides with Jesus' triumphal entry. And, and it's this picture of Jesus being brought in, basically, into the people of, of Israel. And, and during that time when the lamb was in the home, it was a time of inspection. They were checking the lamb over to make sure that it was a perfect lamb, worthy of, of being the, the Passover sacrifice. <clears throat> Remember that the Pharisees, they came and they asked Jesus, by what authority do you do these things? They were questioning, they were looking at him, they were, they were in, inspecting him in a way to see. I mean, I don't think that they, were, they necessarily were, but what I'm saying is it's interesting how these things coincide, is that they were inspecting him to see who he was. By what authority do you do these things? See, preparation day, prior to this, this, um, this 
feast of unleavened bread, the, the Jews went in and they removed all of the leaven from their home. And, and leaven represents this idea, this concept of sin and, and in the Bible. And so, so they removed all of the leaven from their home. And remember, Jesus, prior to this, he goes into his home, the tabernacle, and he removes the sin out of it, right? When he cast the money changers out of it and, and, and pushed the, the, uh, the corruption out of his house. <clears throat> and ultimately, we see that Jesus is going to be crucified as the Passover lamb at the very time his death coincides with the very time that the high priest would have given as the sacrifice for the people, the lamb would have been sacrificed in the temple for Passover at 3 p.m. on that day. So we're at this time, and, and again, these times, these festivals, they're, they're, it's, it's it, no mistake of when it's going on. And it says that the chief priests and the scribes, they were seeking to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And so the people who are actually supposed to be having their eyes on God and preparing their hearts and their, themselves and the people for this time and for this festival are actually just focused on killing Jesus and ridding, getting rid of him. And how can we do this? This is the level of corruption that's in their hearts and where they're at. They can't even take a break from that to just enjoy the festival and to focus on God. <clears throat> so they don't want to do it during the feast, they say, because they're afraid of the people. Jesus' ministry is, is really hitting on, on a lot of cylinders at this point, and, and they know that, that if they push this envelope too much, there will be a riot. And it says now, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper... So now Jesus, remember each day, he's teaching in the temple. He's, Jesus is bad. I mean, he's just, he's just tough. He doesn't care. He's like right in the temple, and he's preaching all this stuff that's in their face that, is, um, that, that they're really struggling with, the Pharisees and the religious elite of the day. But he's right there, and he's teaching. And every evening, he goes back, and he, he stays in Bethany, the house of the poor. And he stays with just folks. He doesn't stay where all the rich people are staying in Jerusalem he goes out to Bethany, and he stays with these people, in particular, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. But here, it says that he's in the home of Simon the leper. Not the ending or the tag on your name you want to have if you're living in, in ancient Israel, right? You, you just don't want to be known as these kinds of things, right? Imagine, you'd be like, Oh, hey, how you doing? Oh, good to meet you. Great to meet you. Hey, I'm Simon. Simon, good to meet you. Yeah, Simon. Good to meet you, Simon. How are you? Yeah, Simon the leper. <laughs> right? No, 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 it's okay. No, here's what, you, here's what you need to know. I was a leper. Leprosy, it just engulfed me. It left me outside of the camp. It left me completely marginalized and separate from everyone. No one would even come near me. No one would even come within 10 feet of me. And if I came within 10 feet of someone else, I would have to yell out unclean. If for some reason I was to come into a crowd of people, I would yell unclean and they would just, they would part like the sea and I would walk through them. And my life was full of 
anguish and loss and despair as I lived outside of the camp. But I came to Jesus, and he wasn't afraid of me. He, he didn't worry about that, that something on me might get on him. He just came and touched me, and what was on him got on me, and he cleansed me. And he changed my life. And my life is completely different now. It, it, it's the, it, it's compl- so you don't have to worry about shaking my hand because I'm not a leper anymore. But that's who I was, and, and I'll always remember that, and I'll, and I'll keep that as a testimony to the goodness of who Jesus is. There were several like this in the Bible. Uh, Rahab the harlot, another one you probably don't really want to have to live with, right? But a, but a woman who recognized and understood the fear of the God of Israel, who, who took the spies and, and, and hid them away and just said, hey, when it all comes, will you remember me? And they said, yeah, put a little string in your window, a little scarlet string, and, and you're going to be okay, you and your family. And, and that family went on to be the, the lineage of the Messiah, Simon the Zealot, he's a zealot. He's a soldier actively training for and participating in guerrilla warfare. His desire is to rid Israel of the Roman occupation. And he hates any dissenters. He hates those who would be traitors. And yet now, guess where he is? He's paired up with Matthew, the tax collector. And something different about him. He has a new zealousy in his life. He's now zealous for the things of Jesus. He now understands that it's not going to be by force that that things are going to change. It's by a different kingdom. It's by a kingdom that starts on the inside and manifests itself out to the world around it. Simon the leper. Now, he was reclining at the table, and a woman came with an alabaster, alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask, and she poured it over his head. So we have several accounts of, of this idea of this anointing of Jesus, and there are three different anointings of Jesus. Luke chapter 7 deals with one, and it's where Jesus is at the house of Simon the Pharisee, and a woman comes in, and it says that she wets his feet with her tears, dries it with her hair, and then anoints his feet with this perfume. This one, then, then the, uh, this, the second time, we have an account in John, and it says that it's six days prior to the Passover. It's in John 12. And there we see that it's Mary of Bethany, and, and she, um, she once again anoints Jesus' feet. This time we see here, it's an unnamed lady, and, and both Matthew and Mark give basically the same account of this one, Matthew 26, and here in Mark 14, but she's unnamed. We don't really know who she is, <clears throat> but she comes, and when she anoints it, she anoints it on his head, and so... I think we have some imagery here of, of an anointing of a king, right? And then we have anointing, too, of the feet of a servant. And ultimately, we see 
kind of a picture of a servant king kind of a thing in this. And it's just this pure nard. And, and I, I want to make a point really quick, too. All of these accounts, all three are women that do this. It's so all three are women that get it and get it right. They get worship right. They get first things right. And I want to continue to encourage us, and, and especially ladies, that, I mean, the Bible is this amazing thing, this amazing ancient text that gives dignity to women in a way that was so profoundly different from the ancient world. It was so, no, I mean, it wasn't even, it was freaking everybody out, even Jesus' disciples, that these things were going on and that he was allowing them. And, and it's always, I think it's always, our la ladies just tend to, to get it right about worship, and they tend to get it right about prayer. And the really important things a lot of times. Guys, we tend to be like, man, I could have sold that for 300 denarii, man. And I could have done all kinds of good stuff with that. I'd have done all kinds of good stuff. But here she is, and, and, and it says that she anoints his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why, wasn't this why was this ointment wasted? Now think about that. They said, why was it wasted? It was wasted is their perspective on this. On who? Jesus? Man, that's a harsh claim that we would waste something on Jesus. But the Bible is always, you know, calling us to, to a different perspective, to a higher perspective. And, and, and this, I think, is this idea of worship versus our propensity towards works. But, but I'm going to say this, that... We must first worship before we work. Always worship before we work. As a matter of fact, we gather today on Sunday as a beginning to our week. Sometimes we get the idea of Sabbath wrong. We think about Sabbath in our world. We think about resting from work. Whew, man, it's been a week. Now I'm going to rest up on the weekend. That isn't really a biblical perspective of rest. The first thing that Adam did when God made him was rest. The first thing he did was rest. He was made on the sixth day. He rested the seventh. The first thing he did was rest, and he rested for the work that was before him. And this is that same picture that we must really worship. We gather here today to worship, to offer our best and our highest and our greatest gifts to God, to, to be encouraged together, to grow in relationship together, but to go out and to do the work, the gospel work that's out there in our community to do when we leave here. So it says that she gave this pure nard. We, oh, dang it. Song of Solomon, a garden locked is my sister, my bride, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchid of pomegranates with all choicest fruits, henna with nard. So this is out of the Song of Solomon, which ultimately, let me just say too, if you're kind of like uptight, if you're a pretty uptight Christian about like sex and things like that, don't read the Song of Solomon, okay? Because it, it's a very erotic book about the reality of those kinds of things and the beauty that God intended for all of that to be. <clears throat> but 
But this is a picture of a bride, and this is the groom speaking here. And here she is, this woman, who has this, 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 this vial or this, this jar of pure nard. Now, nard comes from northern India in the Himalayas. And it's really hard to like get a hold of, especially then it was really hard to get a hold of, really hard to process it. You can buy it for like 20 bucks for a little jar on Amazon today, but trust me, for them back then, this was really hard to get. And it was a big deal. People didn't really shower and have access to things like that like we do. Perfume was, was like a, a huge deal so that you could even be around each other, you know? I mean, I mean, if we were in the ancient world, it would smell very different in here right now. <laughs> it just would. I've gotten, I've been like on a couple of, a bus, I remember one time in particular, a bus in, in Nepal, on, in the Himalayas, and let me tell you what, inside of that bus, it stunk so bad. The whole bus, it was bad. And, and uh, there was this music from India that was just blaring in my, and my backpack was right here in front of me because there was no room. This, the bus was so full. There were people on top of the bus too. And we're going, in the, I mean, literally, you're watching the apron of the bus and you look over out of the window and it's like 5,000 feet straight down, no guardrails. <laughs> and we're passing other buses on this road. And, and so you would pass the, the other bus and the guy in the other bus sitting in the chair across from you would be like right here. He'd be like, <laughs> it was really scary and really free, and it would highly improve your prayer life. Sometimes as a church, <laughs> sometime as a church we, should go, we should go to Nepal and, and hang out a little bit. Trust me. But that, that bus, it was, this guy's tooth, there was a guy standing, and there were everybody, the whole aisle was full too. Sorry, I'm on a tangent now. He, the whole aisle was full, and I'm sitting here like this, and this guy's got his toothbrush in his back pocket, and he's sitting like this to me, and his toothbrush is like right here. I could have just went and just <laughs> like brushed my teeth. And finally, I, I just, I, this is bad. I have to admit this and ask forgiveness, but, but I also, too, there's, this music was over. The speaker was right there, and it was just this blaring music, and it was hot, and it stunk in there, and all this stuff. Finally, I just reached over, and I grabbed the speaker. And I went, <laughs> It's done. Done. Anyway, we, it, was, it was cool. It was a great trip. So she, she anoints Jesus' head, this idea of being king with this pure nard, this, this, this very expensive, very expensive perfume. 300 days wages, basically, 300 denarii. What a person would make in 300 days of working, that's basically the value of what this was. was. Ten months, ten months of work, that's the cost of this. But we get to struggling sometimes between worship and work, and, and we want to prioritize work. We see this in Luke 10. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to, to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And you see how Jesus defends this lady, too, here the same. Leave her alone. 
Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can go and do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. It's eternal versus temporal. It's an eternal investment for her versus what we're going to see, which is an eternal loss. You see, she had a great vision for who Jesus is. And she was acting on that. This was her display of extravagant worship. You see, before these feasts and stuff, there was a day of holy convocation in which the people were to worship and, and were to just focus their minds on God and prepare their hearts and their minds for this. And this is what she's doing. And she's taking the best of what she has. She's taking what is probably the most valuable thing to her. And she's giving it to Jesus. And she's not wasting a bit of it. Where everybody else would, would turn and say, wow, what a waste. Boy, we'd have done all kinds of great things with that. Jesus says, no, the highest and the best use of that was exactly what she did. Because she has just anointed my, my body for burial. And I want to just think about this and understand and, and kind of, do you know, like, like there's a whole lot of perfume that just got on Jesus. Like a lot. And this stuff is like kind of oily, sticky stuff. It sticks to clothes and skin really well, this, this perfume does. I'm wondering that as Jesus moved forward through what he's about to move forward through, through his scourging, through his crucifixion, through, his, through the, the court system and all the things, the, the rejection, the crucifying, and hearing all of these things, if every once in a while just a waft of this perfume didn't catch his nose and focus, you know, him, not that he needs focus, but just, just, to, just as such a gift of why he's doing what he's doing. And we need that. We need, we need reminded of why we're doing what we're doing. Why are we showing up here on a Sunday? Well, it's to give our highest and our best to him. It's to bring our worship and all that we have before him and to just lay it at his feet and prepare ourselves for the week that's to come. goes on to say that then Judas Iscariot who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. So he went, and as we would find out, they basically gave him 30 pieces of silver, which fulfilled some prophetic words in the book of Zechariah. And they gave him 30 pieces of silver, a tenth of what she gave that was worth. She gave two. He sold Jesus out. What a, what a picture of, of are we giving to Jesus? Are we, are we giving to God? Or are we selling him out some way for something else, something that's temporal, something that won't last, something that doesn't have value? Ultimately, Judas is going to throw all of this right back into the, into the temple and wished he had never done it. You see this 30 shekels, is an interesting thing in itself. 
In Exodus 21, we see that if an ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. It's the cheapest price given for a slave, 30 pieces of silver. And this was the price that this man accepted to sell Jesus out. See, what we believe, guys, are actions. What you believe about Jesus and how you see him and how you see your, your interaction with him and the world around you is going to guide your actions. And, and, and we're either going to be very worldly in our approach to life or we're going to be very kingdom-oriented and we're going to recognize the reality that this is all fleeting and passing and that we can live our lives for a higher cause than what we tend to. And that our resources many times can be used for higher things than what we tend to use them for. See, she saw an investment. The people around her saw a loss. This is our struggle sometimes as we wrestle, and we all wrestle with the concept of, of giving. Not just money, but time and all kinds of things. But, but our problem is, is we, we think this, is if we give this, we'll lose. Somehow we'll have less if I give this. But that's not the, that's not the economy of the kingdom. The kingdom is backwards. The world's economy says, yeah, if you give that, you'll have less and you'll lose. But Jesus says nobody who gives will be slighted, basically, in the end. And if we believe what we believe, if we believe that we're going on from here into something greater, then shouldn't that greatly affect our worship and how we approach life? Mark 8, a reminder from chapter 8, and calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? See, God is shaping our perspectives always. And in these things, he's challenging us with these contrasts. One woman who gives everything that she has, another guy for just this thing that he's going to lose, sells everything away. See, giving ourselves fully to God is our act of worship. In Romans 12, click. Romans 12, 1, click. No? Oh, why can't I read? Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Want to know the will of God in your life? Change your mind. That's what it says. Allow your mind to be transformed by God's word. Allow your perspective to be challenged by, by what God says versus what the world says. And to present yourself a living sacrifice. Not a dead one on the altar, 
but a living one that's perfectly capable of crawling off of there, but choosing not to crawl off of there, but to continue to offer oneself day in and day out. This is acceptable to God, and this is our spiritual act of worship. And I'll remind us here, too, as we look back, Jesus said about this woman, he said, she did what she could. He didn't ask her to do what she couldn't do. He didn't ask her to do what was beyond her means. She did what she could. And there, each and every one of us can. There are things that God is work that God has prepared for us to walk in. And you can do it. You can do it. God is calling us. And if he's calling us, he'll equip us. I like the saying, he doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, and we thank you that uh, just for our journey through this. We thank you, Lord, that you have a plan and that you're good. We thank you that, that there's no higher thing that we could do than to offer ourselves to you and in worship. So may all that we do, Lord, be worshiped towards you. May we, may we do all things to bring honor and glory to you. May we walk in a way that's, that's honoring to you. May we walk in a way that's, that's winsome to our brothers and sisters in Sheridan who don't know you. May we be on purpose, Lord, to share the goodness of who you are, the goodness of God, as we sung earlier. May we share that with the world around us. And Lord, help us that we wouldn't be sidetracked and caught up in things that are just distractions and help us to, to not sell it off for something that's just unworthy. And so, Lord, we need you. In and of ourselves, we, we really have no good thing. So we just offer ourselves before you, and we just, we just ask that you would help us to just plug in, plug into you, that your life might be lived through us, that the fruit of the Spirit might be exhibited in our lives, that we might love well. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.